This is Calvary Baltimore's Harford County Bible Study with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. And now, here's Pastor Josh. I'd like to turn your attention to Matthew chapter 2. We are starting in verse 1. And this is a fun one. Um, so, a little recap, because obviously some, some of this group's at this one, and some of this group, there's a different group at the other one, and a lot of the same, but some new and some this. So, a little recap here. Uh, so, in the opening of Matthew chapter 1, Matthew opens with the genealogy, and in, in, he, in, in Greek, it's the genesis of Jesus Christ. And so, Matthew, he, he, he gives us sort of how we got through the Old Testament to the person of Jesus. And the next, uh, Matthew's second story, he gives us the story of his of Jesus' father, Joseph, Joseph the Just. And he was a man that we saw two weeks ago who sought mercy uh, and received mercy. If you remember from the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Well, when Mary tells him, I have a baby, and it was from God, he goes, yeah, right. <laughs> but it says he sought to divorce her quietly, which was his way of trying to leave her without having her stoned or shaming her. And he sought a merciful way to end the relationship. And as a result, the angel shows up to Joseph and says... Yep, it is from God, and I need you to raise this child and call him Jesus. And the, the angel was very gentle with him. He was a man of mercy, and he received mercy, unlike Zechariah, who doubted and had his mouth shut for a long time. <laughs> uh, then Matthew finishes chapter 1 by announcing that Jesus was born. Now chapter 2, something that's going to be deeply important understanding today's story is that Matthew has started to build the case that the entire story of Israel, the entire story of the Old Testament is fulfilled and wrapped up in the life of Jesus Christ. So in the opening of Matthew, Matthew shows us that Jesus has been the plan all the way back at the beginning of the book of Genesis. And remember, he starts at the genealogy uh, with Abraham. So the story of Jesus uh, in Matthew begins at Father Abraham. And remember through that genealogy, there was that special emphasis on the four women mm -hmm. that all came from Gentile households. Mm -hmm. So starting at Father Abraham, Matthew is showing that that's where it began, but also there's this Gentile influence in his life. Next we see that G uh, the next, the next Matthew shows us the story of Joseph. And Joseph is a dreamer. Uh, Matthew shows us that Jesus comes from a new type of Joseph from the story of Israel uh, in his father, Joseph. Remember, both the Joseph from Genesis and the Joseph of Matthew 1, they both had received dreams from God. They both acted on dreams from God. They were both dreamers. Now, starting in chapter 2, the story now moves from Genesis, from Abraham and Joseph, now to the story of Moses. So we're coming in. Matthew's going to start weaving the story of the wilderness, the exile, the exodus, and the story of Moses uh, starting in chapter 2. So this is one of the things we want to look out for specifically today, how the story of, of Moses and the exodus was pointing to the story of Christ. And just to give you guys a little bit of a window into what's happening, um, Herod's going to end up 
being very much like Pharaoh in today's story. And then remember Jesus, it's, he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted and he crosses through the waters. So we have a type of exodus that happens. Then after Matthew chapter four, what does Jesus do in Matthew chapter five? He says he brings everyone up to the mountain and sits down to teach them. There we see a new Mount Sinai. He, so we're, we're gonna start tracing through the exodus story in this section of, of Matthew. And again, all of this is pointing to that Jesus is the fulfillment, the culmination of everything, every story, every person that God had told us about in the Old Testament. So this is, this is a crescendo, so to speak, uh, in the Bible. So start, let's, let's Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. We got some fun stuff today. <clears throat> now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So these are magi. They are Gentiles and have come from the east, most likely Arabia, if, if that matters to you, to worship Jesus. And we, we think Arabia not only because they came from the east, but they bring gold. There was a lot of gold mines in Arabia at this time, and frankincense and myrrh grew in southern Arabia at this time. So they seem to be um, Arabian. Verse 2 saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Uh, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 60, verses one through three. I want to read it for you. Arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness of the people's but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. The nation shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So here these Gentile magi, these leaders, some, and the tradition is, we three kings of glory. The tradition is that they're kings. It doesn't say that they're kings, but they're of a high ranking status here. And they're coming from foreign nations, as Isaiah 60 points out, to worship this promised leader, Jesus, who we know, who ironically is a little baby. <laughs> and so this is the fulfillment of prophecy, uh, serving as a sign that Jesus is the promised son. And all of these things, especially in the beginning part uh, of Jesus' story, you see a lot of prophecies being fulfilled because as the gospel writers wrote these things, if you have knowledge of the Old Testament, pretty quickly you're going to realize, oh, it has all been pointing to him. <laughs> and that's what's happening here. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 60. And if you kept reading Isaiah 60, these rulers bring gifts uh, to, to this ruler uh, who we know is Jesus. And of course, that's a further fulfillment of this prophecy, um, which we're about to read soon. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with it. Is that not one of the worst verses in the Bible? Here comes God. And the king and all the people of Jerusalem are troubled. <laughs> I think there'd be a lot of people in our country too. A lot of churches. <clears throat> now, this is where the Exodus themes really start to, to pick up. Her Herod is going to act just like Pharaoh all the way back at the beginning of the book of Exodus of Egypt. Like Pharaoh, 
Uh, Herod too is going to order, we're going to see next time, the death of all the Israelite children uh, in chapter 2. So we're being introduced here to a new type of Pharaoh. But there's an interesting note later in this story as Herod starts killing the Hebrew children. Do, do you, does anyone remember where Joseph fled to? Egypt. He fled to Egypt. The, the story of the Exodus is ironically inverted in Jesus' life. Instead of Egypt being the place of death, Israel has become the new Egypt with a new Pharaoh. And Egypt has become the place of refuge. So the whole thing has flipped on its head. And so Matthew in today's story is introducing us. He's, he's giving us a window. We should all be appalled by this. And he's telling us what has become of God's people. What has become of those people who have put their trust in the temple and the sacrifices, but not of the God of the temple and the sacrifices? And especially if you're thinking about Ezekiel, I mean, um, the Exodus, all the promises of Cana. It's a land of milk and honey, a place where my people will be firmly fixed and established, a place where you will live out my law. Do not let the law depart from you, Joshua chapter 1. And all these things, and, and they have completely turned against this and have now become pagan, but with a godly spin. <laughs> they detest God. Uh, and like how God spared and raised up baby Moses, so too will God spare and raise up Jesus and again, this is pointing to a new exodus that has to happen. If God's people are back in Egypt under a new Pharaoh and we have a new Moses, that tells us what's coming. God's going to get his people out of here. <laughs> and it probably won't be pretty. Uh, verse 4. <laughs> and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people... He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And notice, we have the king, we have all of Jerusalem, and now we have the temple. We have all the scribes and the priests. So all of Jerusalem is represented here. And, and isn't it interesting, the way that it's written, remember when, when, when Pharaoh became troubled that the sons of, of, of the Hebrews were growing and multiplying. Remember he called his council together. It's exactly what's happening. And then remember when Moses and Aaron came and they stood before Pharaoh and let my people go. And then they threw the snake and then, and then he had his guys and they threw their snakes. Now God's snake was better, but they threw their snakes. And here's the point. Now, now this new Herod has new sorcerers. But the scary part is they're priests. They work in God's temple. They have become like Pharaoh's magicians, these these people that run in God's temple. And again, seeing this with fresh eyes, you understand why Jesus walked into the temple and made a whip and flipped tables. He was, Pharaoh was running the house of God. Couldn't take it anymore. Verse five. And so the chief priests said, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means last among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained, I love that word, from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, please bring me his word that I too may come and worship him. And of course, he's a big fat liar. He wants to kill Jesus, not worship Jesus. Verse nine, after listening to the king, they went on their way. Now listen to verse 9 as we keep reading really closely and notice this is not what stars typically do. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose (laughs) went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. I don't think there's ever been a star that's done this before, nor probably will ever again. The star rested over top of Jesus, this star. Luke 2 is very clear on this, that whatever the star was, it appeared with the glory of God, the Shekinah glory, was resting now over Jesus. But stars don't sit over houses. And this, this is something that I don't want to say vexed me, if there's a pause, intrigued me, delighted me, uh, was this, there's one of two options here. First, either this is a new star, <laughs> That's acting like a star never has, but it's a starry star that moves and sits wherever it moves and sits. Uh, And this is very possible because God's God and he can do whatever he wants. Uh, My my second thought, and this is where I'm leaning, is that this is the glory cloud from the wilderness period in the book of the Exodus. Isaiah 20 or 60 talks about the star bringing glory, as we just read, and so does Luke, that the glory is intimately connected with this star. Stars don't typically bring the glory cloud with them. (laughs) So I I think this star may actually be the glory cloud from the book of Exodus that led God's people through the wilderness. And when the glory cloud wasn't moving, do you remember where it sat? Anyone remember where it rested? On the tabernacle right on the tabernacle, on the Holy of Holies. So if I'm correct, then this star is not just a GPS to Jesus. (laughs) This star or or glory is making a powerful connection from Israel's history. If this is the glory cloud or if this star is to represent a type of glory cloud, as again, as Luke and Isaiah seem to imply, they don't say it, I could be wrong, but seem to imply, this, this means three possible things. First, This means that the glory cloud has been removed from the temple and is now placed upon Jesus Christ. That's very big. That's very big in the life of Israel. Secondly, this means that Jesus is the guide for God's people into the greater promised land of heaven. Remember what the glory cloud's purpose was, was to follow the presence of God into Cana. What's Jesus going to (laughs) do? He's going to bring God's people back into the promised land, of course, into, into heaven. Thirdly, the people of Israel were to camp around God's glory. So when the glory cloud wasn't moving and it stopped, all and they would set the tabernacle back up, the glory cloud would fall down to the Holy of Holies, and all the 12 tribes of Israel would make camp around the cloud. Isn't that exactly what Je- the people are to do with Jesus? Remember, remember in Matthew chapter 4? It says the Spirit of God came upon him and led him into the wilderness. And, and of course... And constantly, when you read the gospel, people, no matter where Jesus goes, they just, (laughs) they flock to him. And in Matthew chapter 5, he sits down on the mountain, and thousands of people sit down with him. The host of Israel, God's new people, 
are gathering around a new tabernacle. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again, he says. And of course, so there's the picture of the Old Testament tabernacle. There's a picture of Jesus as the new tabernacle. And then, of course, as we look in Matthew chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls in the story of Pentecost, anointing a new temple, us, the church. Now, what happens when two or three are gathered? He is here. And God's people assemble again at all these little mini churches all over the world. And so we just keep doing this. We gather at his, at his feet, at his word. So I think that's what's happening here. I could be wrong, but I really don't think so. Verse 10. <laughs> when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Again, I don't think that's a star. This is leaping with joy for something really new that's happening. Uh, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Here's a fun fact. You don't need to know this, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Um, we do not know how many magi there were. We only know that there were three gifts. <laughs> so there could be two magi. There could be 20 magi. This could be a really packed house with all these different people from Arabia and camels and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, so we don't know how many kings there were, that we three kings. Oh, go, go for it. What is a magi? A magician. A magician. magician? Which is an interesting... Thank you for bringing that up, by the way. Okay. Because you think magician is often uh, attributed to sorcery. You think of that the whole yeah. context. But magi, magi in this context could seem to also... Um, could also seem to uh, be pointing to astrologers. So they could be astrologers for Arabia, which is a really interesting... It makes sense. Story. Well, they seem to be looking... Thank you for... Always ask questions. Please, always ask questions. They could be looking for... Um, you notice it shows up and it was like they were looking for signs in the heavens. And all of a sudden it was there. So they might be astrologers. Uh, verse 12. Verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And we are done our... Is that my dad? It's your mother. Is she okay? I don't know. She's telling me to call. Call her. Call her. Did she try to call you? My dad did. Okay. I saw you look at I looked at my thing. It dung me. Okay. <laughs> She's been having issues, so it might be she's scared. And I'll tell she'll hopefully, and Kathy says the same thing I say every time go to the doctors. Right. Go to the hospital. Right. Uh, so, first, uh, verse 12, I've got to regroup here. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And we're done our story. <laughs> Two thoughts. First, in chapter 1, Matthew notes that the genealogy of Jesus is filled with Gentiles. That the story of Jesus is not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Well, here we are in Matthew chapter 2, and what we see are the first people in Matthew's account to accept Jesus as king. And who are they? They're Gentiles. So Matthew's showing us slowly the Gentiles are part of God's plan to form a new people. Now, 
in Luke's account, we see that the announcement comes to the shepherds in the field. So wasn't that in Matthew's account, the Gentiles are first, but in Luke's account, chronologically, the shepherds were first. So don't think that the Magi were the first people to become converts. They weren't. But in Matthew's account, that's how he, he tells it so we can catch these themes. Um, so Matthew's trying to communicate something to us and that as God is starting to make a new people through faith in Jesus Christ, that the Gentiles were going to play a pivotal role in forming this new people. And so in today's story, we see the first fruits of the Gentiles. And why this is so important to us is right off the bat, Jesus is telling us again that the kingdom of God is for all kinds of people. <laughs> all kinds of people, except for vegans. No, but it's for, it's for all kinds, all different kinds of people. Jesus is for all people. Uh, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah in Isaiah 9 prophesied, uh, starting in verse 2, the people, this is one of my favorite verses, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. <laughs> Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. We see so much, don't we, in our culture about inclusion initiatives. Oh is anyone inundated with this? I'm inundated with this. Uh, so much about inclusion, that inclusion is one of the great virtues of our uh, of the modern man, that we accept all kinds of people here. But here we see it plain as day in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus includes all people. He includes all nations into his kingdom. The, the Father is drawing all kinds of people here, uh, starting with Arabs, <laughs> into the kingdom of God. And this is but a glimpse of what John saw in the book of Revelation. Is that, behold, I saw all people from all tribes and all tongues and all languages and all, all people. Je Jesus, this child, is not coming for one kind of person. Mm -hmm. And isn't that wonderful for our apologetic when you're dealing with someone difficult or a knucklehead? It's like, well, they need Jesus too. <laughs> or when you're dealing with foreigners or people that think differently than you, it's like Christ came for us all. Uh, the people who walked in darkness, as God prophesied in Isaiah, have seen a great light. And one of my favorite works of all time is um, uh, Handel's Messiah, that oratorio, you know, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Um, in Handel's Messiah, there's, there's in the opening act, it's called The People Who Walked in Darkness. Is anyone familiar with that? Am I all, I'm on an island by myself. It goes, dun, 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 and it sounds like people tiptoeing in the dark, how, how, he, how he wrote it, like they're stumbling around. And then right after that, it goes, for unto us a child. It breaks out into this happy little ditty. Uh, and that's what's happening here. Uh, immediately in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is born and kings are coming from all over creation to bow down and offer their gifts. The darkness has broken and it's begun is what's happening here. That Jesus is the light of the world, which is just super cool. Secondly, King Herod. King Herod has become a type of Pharaoh here. He's a personification of evil, and we're really going to see that next, next time. But Herod in today's story recognizes something about Jesus that many faithful believers do not. Herod accepted something about Jesus that even, sadly, Christians today have not accepted. Herod knew that when the Magi came, do you remember what they said? We're here to see the king of the Jews. 
And the chief priests recalled the prophecy. And remember, he went to his guys secretly and was like, what's going on? And they said, there's coming a ruler. And he, they quote out of Malachi 5. Herod knew that this was a political claim to his throne. This was a, Jesus was a political threat to his rule. And so Herod, unlike many professing Christians, can see the political logic, the ramifications of Jesus' birth here. Jesus claims to be king of the Jews, and so does Herod. <laughs> he also claims to be king of the Jews, and here's the catch. They both can't be right. <laughs> Someone's wrong. Is it God or Herod? <laughs> yeah? Was Herod truly a Jew? There's an answer to that that I can't answer right now. I think he was half. I think that's how that goes. But there were multiple Herods, and I get him confused, if I'm being honest. So, one of the things we have to see, if two different people lay claim over a same kingdom, conflict is coming. It's unavoidable. And what Christians typically don't recognize today is the political nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the kingdom of God. You know, haven't you heard, I don't want to hear politics in my, from the pulpit. Has anyone ever heard that before? I hear it a lot in my circle. And in a way, I get it, right? Like, you don't want to go to a Republican rally in church. And, you know, the pastor's draped in an American flag and a Trump wig. You know, <laughs> I don't want to go to a church like that. The, the, problem, the problem with that is that at the very beginning of Jesus' life, his birth was a political statement. First of all, that Herod was not king, but he was. Jesus was. And this isn't just true of Jerusalem and Israel. Jesus pretty quickly in the gospel, according to St. Matthew, is going to have a message that says he went town to town preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He came with a different country, is what he's saying. And he was calling new citizens of that country. That Jesus isn't just king of kings and lord of lords. He also is bringing with him a new kingdom. And to every believer, that kingdom holds a far greater authority in their life than any earthly kingdom. And that's a hard pill for tyranny to swallow, isn't it? I, Josh, am an American, but I'm a Christian first. That's a real problem. That's a real problem to tyrannical people. But to the believer, Jesus is our greater king. And he's a greater king any bit than earthly king or president or, or prime minister. And, and this is what Paul was getting at in Romans 10, 9. I, I love this. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you heard that verse? Now that has been turned into, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I ask you into my heart. Boom, you're saved. <laughs> that is not what this is talking about. This is not talking about a believer's prayer. When Paul says that in Romans 10, 9, what that means is if in order for you to confess that Jesus Christ was Lord in that culture was to declare that Caesar was not Lord. And in order to declare that Caesar was not Lord was a crime punishable by death. So that was publicly to say, you can kill me if you want, but God's on the throne here. That's what he's saying, not pray a prayer and then go on and keep sinning in your cover. That's that's nothing to do with anything. Um, so... I had two thoughts, but now I have two more thoughts. First, <laughs> two thoughts on my second thought. First, if we serve the kingdom of God, if we'll be loyal citizens of heaven and give our lives to Jesus Christ and his kingdom, 
we have to accept that the Herods of our life are going to hate us and oppose us. If we side with the babe, Herod's going to hate us. There's no two ways about it. We have to accept that faithful Christianity for 2,000 years now is and always has been on a collision course with ungodly government, which is why everywhere we go, they end up starting to kill us or kick us out. I mean, I, I, my, I have a family. Someone did a family tree. I come from the Huguenots. Anyone know anything about the Huguenots? They were the first reformers in, that, that accepted Calvin's teaching from Geneva. They were, we were religious persecutors. We were under religious persecution in France and relocated to Wales and Scotland and, and, and England. The astronauts. Yeah, the, yeah, the astronauts, yeah. And then, and then someone burned down Georgetown. That, don't blame me. That was someone else. <laughs> and, but, but immediately, we are on a collision course here with big government. It's always been this way. And the larger a secular government gets, the more Pharaoh and Herod respond negatively to the child worship of Jesus Christ. That's just the way this always goes. So the more we identify with Christ, the more Herod's going to hate us. And at the very least, we can't be surprised. (laughs) Secondly, Notice what the Magi did. I love this. Verse 12, it says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They tricked them. More, actually, they broke the law. <laughs> he told them to come back, and they're like, Nah, nah, we'll pass on that. But the Magi were forced to make a political statement, weren't they? <coughs> they were forced into a political corner. What party do you choose? <laughs> they needed to choose which king to serve. They needed to pick a candidate. And notice, like the Egyptian midwives from Exodus chapter 1, remember Pharaoh's like, these Hebrew kids, they're having too many kids. We got to do something about this. They're breeding like rabbits. And so he told the Egyptian midwives, when the, when the, when the Egyptian women or the Hebrew women start to have babies, kill them as they're coming out. And then remember what the Hebrew midwives said, or the Egyptian midwives said, they come out so fast, we can't stop them. Like they needed a catcher's mitt to catch the Hebrew babies. And, and, and there was a holy deception there. They lied to their king. And when push comes to shove, you know, th- this is where we need to be wise as servants and, as servants and gentle as doves, isn't it? And, and we need to choose. Do we choose God or, 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 or man? You know, and what I love about the Magi here, they didn't tippy-toe, did they? They didn't, or, or the Egyptian midwives, they didn't, they didn't fence it. Well, we'll kill some of them, but not all of them. And then, you know, we can allow some babies to not catch, they had to choose. They had to choose. And this is what every single follower of Jesus Christ ultimately, I believe, has to decide. We have to choose who we serve. And the more secular a culture gets, the stronger that decision's going to appear. We cannot serve both Herod and Jesus. Both the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness lay claim to the same territory, which is what? Our souls <laughs> and our country and our children, and our grandchildren. And as believers, again, this is a political choice we all have to make. And we're going to stand before God one day and we're going to give an account. What kingdom did we try decide to align ourselves with? And I don't think anyone who chooses that babe is going to regret on that last day. And there's a whole lot of miserable people that choose to side with the Herods of the world. So, and our children, our grandchildren, 
And as believers, again, this is a political choice we all have to make. And we're going to stand before God one day, and we're going to give an account. What kingdom did we try decide to align ourselves with? And I don't think anyone who chooses that babe is going to regret on that last day. And there's a whole lot of miserable people that choose to side with the Herods of the world. Thanks for joining us for Calvary Baltimore's Harford County Bible Study Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, head to calvarychapelbaltimore.org for service times and directions. If you have a prayer request or you've just been blessed by today's teaching and want to say hi, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. To donate to the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Pastor Josh and all of us at Calvary Baltimore consider it a blessing to serve you. We hope you'll join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Harford County Bible Study Podcast.